Hey, thanks so much for tuning in. Whether you're watching, listening on podcast or on demand, this is Life Church. And Life Church exists on four campuses Bradford, Belfast, Leeds, and Warsaw. If you're in one of those areas, we would love for you to visit. But this opportunity we have together, this time we have now, is so crucial because so many people can't get to one of our geographical locations. And so this time we share is vitally important. And today I'm going to continue on this message, United in Purpose. It's one of our hallmarks. It's one of our key values. It's a keystone here at Live Church that we understand how to unite around the purpose of God in our generation. There's so much confusion about that, and that's why I wanted to talk about it today. If we can all play a part, then we can advance together. I don't know if you're playing your part yet in your local church, or if you've yet found your purpose in life. And I hope after listening today, that it's made so much more clear. So come on, let's get started. We talked about being united last week, and this week we feel held to continue on with this theme about being united, united in purpose. So important we understand that being united together can accomplish so much more than any of us could ever do alone. And I use the analogy of the Seattle Seahawks, my team, my American football team, and they're going to the Super Bowl next week, as am I, going to see them play. And I shared this concept last week about the 12th man, because there's 11 players on the field, but the 12th man is the crowd united. You see here the space needle behind me, it's got the number 12 on it. Now last week, as, as we already heard Tim Nelson, he had, his, he had his Boy Scout uniform or Cub Scout uniform or whatever the heck it was. Well, this week I've got my Seattle Seahawks uniform on. Come on, somebody. Take that, Tim. That's way better than a Boy Scout uniform, okay? This is it. Seahawks, come on, somebody. Super Bowl champs, they're going to win next week. I'm bringing it by faith right now. Peyton Manning and the Denver Broncos are going to go home like school children because the real team's going to turn up on the field. And I'm going to be in the stadium being the 12th man. So I do much better when people respond. So if I can get some response going on in the house, that would be great. Even if you don't like the Seattle Seahawks, you're allowed to boo in church. If you think American football is a bunch of pansies dressed up in armor, then come on, you're allowed to think that too. Because I know in the house, now we've got some rugby players who think, come on, give me a real sport, take off the gear, and get out there without it going on. And for those of you who think that, I would love to sit you up in armor and put you on a field against a 300-pound linebacker coming after you, and you see if you still feel the same way as they tackle you and you go crying home to your mama, they would teach you straight away that American football is for real. All right, turn with me to John, chapter 17, verse 23. This is the main theme, our main emphasis, and I'm going to unpack this because this is the prayer of Jesus. This is Jesus' discourse. It's the longest discourse in the New Testament from beginning to end. And at the outset of John, chapter 17, Jesus talks about his passion to bring glory not to him but to his father and he ends up in uh, chapter 17 verse 23 praying this and he says may they be brought to complete unity Jesus is praying for our church in this prayer that we would be brought to complete 
Unity. Complete unity. Unity doesn't mean we all like the same things. Unity doesn't mean we all like to have our food served a certain way or we all like our food the same temperature or we all like the same kind of films or the same kind of music. No, Jesus is talking about complete unity in purpose. And if the people of God can be united and understand what united in purpose really means, and then Jesus goes on to say this, to let the world know, purpose, this is the purpose, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Does the world yet know how great God is? I don't think so. And if we're united in purpose in our city here, God can do so much more today. Today, right now, Belfast, Life Church is going strong. Some of our second year academies are there with one of our worship pastors today. Today, Leeds Church is going strong. Again, one of our worship pastors there today, David Niblock, they are there today. Today, we have a mission team in Warsaw, Poland. Warsaw, Poland, on the foothold of a whole new move of God there, partnering with a bigger city. Today, as I've already said, my wife Charlotte in Washington, D.C., we're a local church with a global vision. We can't just say it's all about us, and there are other great churches too. We're not the only church. There are other great churches across the UK and across Europe and across the globe. But we're not part of that church. We're part of this church. This is our local church. So I'm not saying this is not empire building. I'm saying God has churches all over the globe, but their destiny and purpose needs to be to make his name great, to bring glory to God. Now, that's what Jesus prayed. And so many people don't understand this, and they fall out over insignificant, listen to me, insignificant issues. How do you know an issue is insignificant? Simple. Look at that issue in view of eternity. If an issue is bothering you, you've got to ask yourself, is this issue of eternal significance? In other words, is it concerning the destiny of a person? If it's concerning the destiny of a a person, then that's eternal significance. That's so important that you understand the difference. You know, you may not like one or two in the songs that that we sing in the church. I have no idea why you feel that way because our worship this morning was off the charts. It was incredible. It was outstanding. It was brilliant. But it's not about the song we sing. You might be here today and think, well, I don't really care for this particular church. It seems a bit too excited. It seems a bit too awake and alive for me. That's an insignificant matter. What's more important is there could be someone here whose eternal destiny is hanging in the balance this morning. And they've come and they're asking, God, are you really real? This depression I've been facing for years, God, are you really? Why have these things? They're coming and those thoughts are at the forefront of their mind. So we've got to stay in complete unity about what is really important. How do we do that as a local church? We don't focus on the carpet color. We don't focus on the wall color. We don't focus on some of the peripheral things around us. We focus on Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying we don't address certain things. I'm not saying we don't live in an atmosphere of excellence. That's not what I mean. But never let people come before this situation we face where a wall is more important than a life saved. Where the painting on a wall means more than a child that needs to discover grace. You know, people say, why do we reach young people in the church? We reach young people in the church because they need to know who Jesus is. 
They need to know who Jesus is. So we invest in our kids' church. We invest in families. We invest in children. It's what the church should be doing. Now that may mean for you that some of the music styles change. It might mean that some of the atmospheres change. But when you understand the why behind the what, when you understand we are building a church, not just for ourselves, but for the glory of Jesus Christ, then we find our place in the church. Now talking about unity and and speaking and praying into unity over these last few months has been something that's been a real burden for my wife, Charlotte, and I. We, We really, really pray that our church becomes united in purpose at the outset of 2014. You've got to be united in the purpose of God. You see, many people feel like their best days are behind them. They feel like when I was younger, when, when, I, when I went to university, when I first got married, when I, when, I, when I had my strength, I'm here to let you know that wherever you're at in your journey, your best days are yet ahead. They're not here yet, they're yet ahead. And people who don't understand that don't understand their purpose. They don't understand yet how they fit into the plan of God. And if you're in a place where you're questioning your value, you're questioning where you fit, your struggle is to determine where you end up in the house of God. That's your struggle. Find your purpose and you find your joy. You see, you can't fake joy. You can't fake it. You can't. You can imitate it. You can say all the right words. But you can't fake it. It's, it's either real or it's not real. And I need you to know, church, that I am in a place of personal fulfillment. And just, I'm so happy to be here with this church. I'm, I'm not looking for the next thing. I'm not looking. I'm not waiting. I'm not waiting for the better thing to come along. No, this is the best thing. This is it. This is my best life now. It's not next week, next month. No, this is it. I'm fully expecting and believing that that this is where God always intended me to be, always intended me to live. Now, my, my confusion over the years has meant I didn't always understand what God is doing. And you might be in a place where you're confused. And so I'm taking you, I want to take you this morning to where confusion landed and where confusion first surfaced in the people of God. I want to take you to Genesis chapter 11. And I'm going to stay here for the rest of the morning. Genesis chapter 11. Go ahead and turn to it now in your iPad, iPhone, iDevice, Android device, Bible, and every other source that you have. If you don't yet have a Bible, go ahead and steal the person's next to you. What are they going to do? They're a Christian, right? If somebody's got an iPhone that's better than yours, just go ahead and borrow it. Just make sure you give it back at the end of the meeting. Genesis chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible or any of those devices... The words will come up behind me on the center screen and on the side screens so that you can follow along. Verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. Let me just pause there. Imagine if the whole world had a common speech. There was a time when that was reality. You know, you can even speak the same language and not understand what someone else is saying. Scotland, case in point, somebody. (laughs) You with me? And as I go in this 
thought, I want to talk to you about this one word today. The word is called community. Community is the word I want to look at because community has the word common in it. Community has the word behind it, commune, which is about eating together, about sharing life together, about doing life together. And I've learned about the word community this, that unity is hidden within the word community. Unity is hidden within the word community. And you'll see by my screen graphic, and I want to ask you the question about this brother on the screen here, is that a profile shot or is it a straight shot? Which is it? Which did you see first? Hands up if you saw the profile shot first. Hands up if you saw the profile first. Most people, I've been told, will not see the profile first. They will see the straight shot. If you saw the straight shot first, lift your hand. Brilliant. Now, here's the truth. Now, you can look at the same word in two different ways. You can look at something that's truth and you cannot see the truth because it can be hidden in obscurity. We can be in the same room and we cannot be in unity. You can be in community but not be in unity together. You can live next door to someone and not be in community with someone. Oh, geographically, you're next to each other. But just because you're sitting next to a person today in church doesn't mean you have the same value system they do. Doesn't mean that they have the same emphasis and priorities that you do. And it's so important that you understand, first of all, your community begins with you because of what Jesus Christ has birthed in your heart. If you're saved, you're saved by grace. And the Bible teaches, therefore, then that you've received the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit is inside you, the Bible goes on to teach that, that your body, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Turn to the person next to you and right now and say, your body is a temple. It's a temple. Scary thought for some of you. Scary thought. But it's true. And when you're in community with what, what God is teaching, then everything else changes. And to go back to the Tower of Babel, what happened was the people were united, but they weren't united in purpose. They were united, but they didn't understand what God's purpose was. And verse 2 says this, and this is evident by what happens next. Mankind, they moved eastward, and they found a plain in Shinar, and they settled there. They settled. They sat down, they rested, they settled. Big mistake. Huge mistake. God never intends his people to settle. He never intends his people to sit down for the drawbridge to come up and say, oh, we've done enough. We're finished. It's over to the next generation. No. God never intends that. Whatever your age is today, God is not finished with you yet. You might be here today and you think, well, I don't have much strength left. But if you've got some strength left, you've got enough purpose left for, for God to be able to use you. That's all you need. And yet so many people, they, they end up, and people right now at retirement homes and nursing homes of our city, they, they're thinking, oh, I've missed it. No, I would love us, by the grace of God, to reach more elderly people in our community. I would love us to have hundreds and hundreds of people who think that they've made tragic mistakes come to peace, find out who Jesus is, and pass on their wisdom to the next generation, and let that be their emphasis and focus. God always has something left for people to do. And so when, when mankind started to settle and they camped down, they violated the nature of God. 
Because God had just shown to Noah, Genesis chapter 9, he had just told Noah, Noah, go out, be fruitful, increase, and fill the earth. And Noah had this incredible promise, this incredible destiny to go out and fill the earth with the glory of God. To go out to the highlands and the bylands, go out everywhere people don't know Jesus, and be able to set that precedent and set the church up that would come many, many years later. And instead, they found a good field, and they sat down, and they camped, and they settled. And once you settle, once you decide to take your burden and take it ease off and low and take your load off and sit down, something so dangerous happens to you. Something so evil happens to you and it happens so slowly, it's imperceptible almost. And you don't really know when it's set in. But one day you'll be aware that you've wasted years of your life, if not decades of your life, because you've settled. And at the outset of 2014, it's time for you not just to set a goal. No, it's time for you to live in the victory of the promise that God has for you in 2014. It's time for you to deal with some of those long-standing issues that have held you back. You settled. See, if you're not in complete unity with what God is doing, then you're settled. You might be settled about your weight. You've said, okay, this is what I weigh now, 45 stone. And I think, oh, that's all I can ever weigh. You might be settled in your marriage. Well, we'll never be, we'll never really be happy, so we'll just live separate lives. You might be settled and you're thinking, well, that, my, my son that's far from God, He's too far now. He's in prison. He's, he's far from. He'll never come back home again. You settled in your thinking. And this is so important, important. God never intends you to live your life from your intellectual capacity alone. He never intends you to live that way. If you, if you, I believe in thinking. I believe that we need to be smart people. But if you allow your thinking only to dominate your life, you will end up miserable, alone, destitute. And history is full of it. I could name... I could name scholar after scholar after scholar, some of the most intellectual people that have ever lived, and they lived without Jesus, they died depressed, they died brokenhearted, they, divi- they died with many broken, failed relationships around them, and scholarly intellect is not the answer. And here we have this capacity in, in mankind that's revealed in Genesis chapter 11 where, where mankind decides, hey, this looks good, let's just settle down here. Hey, this looks good. Why don't we just make life easy? We'll just, you know, we'll just do, we'll just make it easy on ourselves. God has not called our life to be easy. Praise God. I don't want to live an easy life. I want to live a productive life. I want to live a life full of purpose. What about you? And that means that you're not able, you're not going to be able to just go home at six o'clock after you finish your busy day and you're not able to just you know, watch TV and go to bed and, and then just wake up the next day and live day after 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 day. That's called mundane. That's called boring. That's not how God has called me to live. I get bored when I'm at home in an evening. One night, great, it's relaxing. I enjoy that. But two or three nights at night on my own, alone, I'm like, what can I do next? Who can I see? Who needs encouragement? Where do I need to go? I'm, I'm wired like that. And I know life is busy. I know that. But there's something about purpose that gets reignited when you do not live for yourselves. And here in Genesis 11, what happens is they say to each other, the the people, they say, hey, let's make some bricks. Hey, let's bake them thoroughly. Now, on that plain where they settled, 
where they stayed down. Now, they didn't have to settle there. There, were, there was no stone. There was no um, Yorkshire stone there in the plain. And so they got creative and they made bricks and they melted the, made a combination and it's archaeologists tell us that that was common in the Babylonian Empire. See, I would do my Bible study. It was a common archaeological thing to, in, that, in that region to take bricks and make them out of mud and let them bake in the hot sun. That's what people used to do. But of course, when it rains, you got a problem on your hands. Now, they didn't think to themselves, let's go up into the mountains and let's get the stone and let's build something permanent and let's build something strong. No, they settled down. So you got to be careful. If you're not seeing the provision of God in your life right now, today, if you're not seeing God breakthroughs and, and financial blessing, make sure you're not settling. Make sure you're not settling with where you're. Don't stay comfortable with, our, with where you are. If you're in a place where I live, like many years of my life, when I don't yet have enough to get by, hey, that could be the very thing that's causing you to motivate yourself to keep going and keep growing. You know, just keep expanding and growing and learning and praying and seeking God and see what God would do. But, but what happened here in Babel, they just decided, well, let's just settle down. Let's just do the best we can. Let's just get by. Let's just get by. No, listen, God does not want you just to get by. He does not want you to settle down. He wants you to thrive. And you've got to settle that issue and be in complete unity. Yes, God wants to prosper you. Some of you need to say that because it so freaks out your mental capacity. God wants to prosper. Yeah, but what about, what about, what about? No, the Bible says, the Bible is very clear. Malachi chapter 3, that when you bring your tithe and your offerings into the storehouse, God will provide everything you need. That's what the Bible teaches. And you can live and look in many places in the New Testament. And I'm not, I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel. I'm preaching a purpose gospel. God needs you to prosper so that... We can reach the world for Jesus Christ. God wants us to have more than enough so that we can expand in Belfast, Leeds, Warsaw, and other places that we're praying about right now. And if we're like, oh no, we just need to give to what's going on here, we'll never amount. We'll never reach to where we want to get to in life. Now what happens here is so tragic. What happens next? And it's a great insight because the people building The towers say, come on, let's build for ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Oh, wow, this is a challenging scripture. Do you want your name to be great for your namesake? Because that's the culture of the time that we live in. Do you want your name to be great? Do you want your name to be a household name? Now, that's the culture of the time that we live in. And, and here's the thing. This is the, this is the element that God kicked in. God hates pride. He opposes pride. And here is man's rebellion. God said, go out, be fruitful, increase and multiply. God had a plan of provision, an incredible plan. But because man settled, they violated the nature of God. God's a God of increase. And so when they settled down, they violated God's heart. And this is the same rebellion that caused Satan to fall out of heaven. When Satan thought his idea was better than God's idea. Is your idea better than God's idea? No. How do we deal with this? We humble ourselves. We humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. And God in due time will raise you up. Never let God, never let God humble you. Never let God do it. God 
can do that, but I tell you, there's a better way, and that's you humble yourself. <laughs> Much better. If those of you who have been, ever been humbled by God by circumstances, when you've been stubborn, when you've been trying to be strong, you'll know how much easier it is to say this little word called, little word called sorry. Two words, forgive me. Two words, forgive me, will bring you back on track with your destiny so quick and so fast and so far. So important. And so what happened was God came down and literally... As they were building this tower, which God said, he said, nothing they plan to do in their heart will be impossible for them. Nothing. The creativity in humankind is incredible. You can create, you can build, you can do great things. But at the end of your life, what really did it matter? What really did it matter? You can give your life to making millions and you can do that and you can be successful. But at the end of your life, if the loved ones that you care about are going to live for eternity in hell... Really, what was it all about anyways? You can give your life to to do crazy things. When I was a musician, I played um, with different orchestras, and I had friends that would practice day after day after day, hours, eight hours a day, 10 hours a day, 12 hours a day. I had one friend who went on to play the Radio City Music Hall and other places, and he decided he was going to live his life like this. He was going to sleep four hours, and then he was going to practice four hours. And then he would sleep four hours, and then he would practice music for another four hours. And that's how he lived his life. He wouldn't go to the post office. He had someone else do his shopping. And he ended up a fantastic musician. But what a depressed person. What a depressed person. What's he built? It's like, it's like you can look at someone and say, oh, you know, they want to get rich. They want to do it. Yeah, but at the end of the day, that's only materialism. That's only materialistic things. And that's never what God intended us to be. Uh, we have a friend... Um, and uh, we have different friends now in the country. Uh, one is called Ken Costa. He's going to be coming and speaking to Reach. We're really excited about that in March. He's coming. And this is a man who dealt with the wealth of the nations, negotiated trading standards for gold and silver across the globe, and he's taking his passion and building the house of God. I've talked to people who are far, far wealthier than, than, than I, and, and I, I talk to them, and they tell me, they say, it's not about the money. It's about what the money can do. It's not about the, you know, things we have. It's about what we can do for the kingdom of God. And I talked about, and I'm learning and I'm, I'm absorbing it because in my mindset, I've been told that Christians have to stay poor. In my mindset, I've been told that if you're a pastor, you need to be destitute because therefore your destitute nature somehow better reflects the glory of God. And I want to let you know, church, that never despise God blessing your life. You might think, well, you know, in my life, I want to buy a nice vehicle. Maybe you're running a business. I want to, I want to buy a nice vehicle. I want to buy a new home. I want to... Go for it. Enjoy the creation that God intended. Use your wealth to be a blessing. And like the Bible says, store up an inheritance for your children's children. Be smart with your wealth. Don't let other people, you know, um, pull you down and, and make you think you've got to drive a beatable banger to have some kind of false humility. No, you don't. But by the same token, don't confuse materialism with the presence of God. Make sure that you're using the wealth that God has given you to extend the purpose of the kingdom. And what happens is there's a joy that comes. There's a just, God, you're doing great things. Look what I'm doing. I mean, look what God is doing. The guy who blessed our church with that 50,000 pounds matched offering in December enabled us to do so much more this week. We're going to go back into our community this week and we're going to 
continue to pay people's heating bills across the city of Bradford. People that need electricity and heating bills. That's what the church should be doing, people. Helping people in need and in poverty and standing with people. Helping them understand the goodness of God. And so when I look at, I look at Genesis 11 and I see what God did, here is where God entered in and he brought confusion. He had to confuse what God's people were trying to build. Actually, I think God brought clarity because they were confused in the purpose already. They didn't understand the purpose. And so by God coming and saying, hey, we're going to scatter you across the globe. We're going to scatter you. We're going to release you. I'm going to change your language. So therefore, you have to move apart. That's what God did. And he brought clarity again to the purpose of God on the earth. And that's why today in the UK, we have over 61 million people living in the UK at the latest census. In the city of Bradford, which is the fourth largest metropolitan district in England. Many, many different nations, many, many different nationalities, and we still have so much confusion today. When we use the word Jesus, people don't understand what that is. They think it's, he's a prophet, they think he's a good man. No, Jesus is your savior. Somebody needs to understand that today. Jesus is your healer. Somebody needs to understand that today. And that confusion that started in Genesis chapter 11 now is up to us, the church, at the outset of 2014 to go back and explain, no, Jesus Christ, he is everything you have ever dreamed for and then some. He is your deepest heart's desire. He can fulfill you in a way that nobody else could ever fulfill you. And you start to go there. You share your own story. You share your own testimony. You share what God is doing in your life. And the Jesus that you know is so much stronger than the arguments of an atheist. An atheist that says, oh no, God is not real. Oh no, God is not alive. No, no, no. Your experience of Jesus Christ outweighs anybody else's arguments that can be set up in an intellectual discussion. And I've had them, and I say to the atheist, okay, come and meet the medical doctors that signed the report that said Steve Gamble has been healed by cancer, and he will now no longer have to come back from chemotherapy or radiation treatments because they've been healed. That, you can't change that. That's a fact. You can't change that fact. You can deny it. But it's the truth. And some people facing a fact will choose to deny the truth rather than to accept it. And when that happens in our communities, when people that we care about reject Jesus, the job of the church is not, is not, listen to me, to beat them over the head of the Bible. It is not the job of the church to make them feel like horrible, rotten, miserable people. No, it's not. The job of the church is to show the grace and love of Jesus Christ because the kindness of God leads to repentance. And you open a door for someone and you say, I understand, I respect your attitude and I respect your belief, but sincerely, with all due respect, you're wrong. I'm not arguing with you, but you can believe what you want to believe, but I'm not just saying we're on the same level of agreement. No, I'm not. I am saying that one day you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and you will have to give an account for what you believe right now. And so when you're ready, you can come with me to Life Church. <laughs> when you're ready, I'll be here in the community. You can come to my life group, a life stage group. You can come with me. And you can rest from that pressure. That pressure of, 
I have to say the right thing at the right time. No, you don't. You have to love the right way. Consistently, 24-7. You can't let your love fail. Love is the ingredient that makes the world work. Love is the ingredient that makes the church strong. Love is the attribute of heaven at our fingertips that we have to dial up 24-7. Love says even to your enemies, hey, when you come against me, when you persecute me, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to love you. You can't stop my love. You can stop me, but you can't stop the love of Jesus Christ. If something happened to me, somebody else would rise up in the love of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, I've seen it again and again and again and again. You've got to dial up love. Let's make that love the motivation that we live by. Some of you heard about love when you got married, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love. Love is a wonderful thing. Sounds like a song title. Love is a beautiful thing. But when you don't have that operating in your life on a daily basis, then you have disunity. And the devil is the king of disunity, of confusion, of destruction, of disappointments. And you have to learn how to take yourself out of those disappointments and find your fulfillment in serving God. Find your fulfillment out of a relationship with God. And the purpose of Genesis chapter 11 was not this depressing story. No, the purpose was God adjusted his people. They went back on track and they went to the ends of the earth bringing the glory of God. Now, when, the, when, the, when that happens, when you understand God is not here to frustrate me, but it does mean he may not always answer your prayers straight away. He may not always move in, in, in your life in a way that you totally understand, but you can trust Jesus. He's a great God. You can trust him. You can relate to him. You know, this last Saturday, as Charlotte was away, I had some time with my son, who's seven. We were going to go for a walk together, and I'd been studying and preparing and doing the work of a single dad and trying to do what I could do with my kids. And as we were walking with my son, my son was talking to me, having a conversation. And we're walking out through the, through the area where we live in the neighborhood. It's just a beautiful, we found the hill and we're on this little footpath and we're all dressed up warm. And my son's talking to me, talking to me, talking to me, talking to me. And he's asking me questions. He, and I'm thinking about, as I'm walking with my son, I'm thinking about what I'm going to preach the next day. I'm thinking about... You know, I'm praying, even as he's talking to me, I'm not, I'm not listening. I'm thinking about what I'm about to do next. And as my son is walking next to me, all of a sudden, my little seven-year-old, he grabbed my hand and he stopped me and said, Dad, you're not listening to me, are you? And I thought, how did you know that? And I said, you're not, you're not listening to me, Dad. You're not listening to me, Dad. You're not listening. You're not listening. Dad, listen to me. And I tell you what, I immediately felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I immediately felt this, even though I am geographically with my son, even though I'm on the same path, walk in the same direction, I'm not in complete unity. Even though I'm right there with him, I'm not there. And, and my son was trying to tell me, and he, he told me about an experience he'd had where he loved spending time with me. And as he held my hand, he said, he said Dad, do you remember when you took me and he started to mention a time when I had taken him out to play football and he mentioned it was raining and it meant so much to him. And afterwards, we went to Dave's Bakery and got a bacon sandwich and he wanted to tell me the story. And then after that, he wanted to tell me another story. Dad, do you remember when you helped me with my mathematics? Dad, do you remember when? And he started to describe all these moments that I'd forgotten about. And as he's talking about them, I realized my son treasures his time with me. He, tre- he remembers, forensically remembers 
things that I thought were just little things, he remembers and have impacted him. And he's wanting to tell me about them on my path. And yet, I have to stop myself and think, okay, I'm with my son, but I'm not in unity with my son. And right there, I repented. I grabbed his hand. I said, I didn't say, Noah, I now repent. I didn't get my knee down on my knees in the mud. No, I made a mental shift in my attitude. Right then and there, a mental shift. And I said, son, come on, let's talk. Do you remember when? And we got in this conversation. Tell you what, that 20-minute walk, 30-minute walk was so important to him and to me. It's exactly what I needed. I needed to lighten up. Some of you need to lighten up about the purpose of God. You're like, what if I miss it? Oh, gosh, what if I miss it? It's as simple. It's grabbing hold of the person next to you like we did when we started and making sure we're in unity with those closest to us. Now, I finished that walk with my son, and I'll tell you what, we've laughed about it since, and it's helped me. It's helped me in my communication. It's helped me in my fathering. It's helped me in what I bring to the church. It's absolutely helped me. Go ahead and just find a seat, guys. It's, it's whatever. It's whatever you have to deal with. Whatever you have to deal with in life right now, today, right now. If you're in disunity, if you're in dispeace, if you're in a spot where God is trying to get your attention through a friend or through somebody close to you, and you're saying, you're saying, yeah, but God, I, I'm busy. Yeah, but God, I've got things I've got I've to do. God, I, you're missing the point. You're missing the plot. Don't miss the plot. Stop. No. No God's voice. What is God saying to you at the outset of 2014? What's the purpose of God? You know, if somebody, I don't know my purpose. Hey, passion is a clue to purpose, number one. Talent, what's your talent? Talent is a great clue to discover the purpose of God. Number three, a great clue to discover the purpose is take an assessment of what resources you have. Number four, take an assessment of how God has used you in the past. Four quick keys. Put those things in, those clues help you to discover the purpose of God. Passion is so important. Passion. Where's your passion? What are you passionate about? I'm going to finish with this Psalm 133. After the people of God spread out, of course, they reached into a little shepherd boy and he penned these words and he said this. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on their head, running down on their beard running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is if the dew of Hermon was falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Pray that you'd be united in your purpose, that your purpose would be so clear at the outset of 2014. Hey, that's all we have time for now. And as we finish, I hope now you're ready to find your purpose. And of course, that starts when you make Jesus Lord of your life. That starts when he comes in to your world and he starts to help you practically behind the scenes. But from that moment forward, you have to find your fit with others. And God's local church is his answer to make a difference in our generation today. I hope you're a part of a local church. If you're not, find one in your area. If you don't know where to start, write to us because we really want to help every single person get plugged in to the purpose. And as we finish, our last value, which we don't have time to talk about here, is leaving a legacy. And that's how God wants you and I to live, that we would help the next generation emerge that they would be stronger, that they would go further than we have. So I hope you're ready for that challenge as we move forward. 
Hey, remember, at Life Church, we're praying for you. We'd love for you to come visit any one of our campuses, find out about our conferences and the many different training aspects that we offer. And we really pray for your success as you move forward into the week ahead. Hey.